Today we begin an eight-week sermon series called The Wizard of Uz, Job 1, verses 1 through 5. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born to Job seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all of the people of the east. And Job's sons went and feasted in their houses, every one on his special day, and sent and called for their sisters to eat and to drink with them. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Eleven years ago on Christmas Eve, Santa Claus died in a house fire in Stamford, Connecticut, about a mile from my house as the crow flies. The fire killed a grandmother and a grandfather and three children. Lily was nine and her twin sisters were seven. This haul happened in the wee small hours of Christmas morning after all the gifts had been wrapped and placed under the tree and everyone had gone to bed. When the fire department showed up, it showed them that all five victims were inches from safety. If they'd just gotten a little help from the Almighty, they would have been all right. And as it turns out, the fire was the result of a careless mistake that any of us in this room might have made. Someone swept out the fireplace on Christmas Eve and threw glowing embers into the trash. Lomer Johnson, the grandfather, looked just like Santa Claus. He was 71 years old, had snow-white hair and a long white beard, and Scandinavian blue eyes, and wire glasses perched on the end of his nose. The last thing Lomer did before he died was to play Santa Claus on Christmas Eve at Saks Fifth Avenue in New York City. And then he died on Christmas Eve when Santa was supposed to be flying his sleigh, led by Rudolph dropping presents off for the children. Now, that 11-year-old event has had quite an impact on those of us who lived in Stamford, Connecticut, and Fairfield County at the time, as you can tell. And that's because this event seemed like one of those cruel jokes God is famous for. Like Beethoven, the maestro of musical masterpieces, going deaf, or Lou Gehrig, the Iron Man baseball player who played in 2,130 straight baseball games, wasting away from the disease that would forever after bear his name. So, as you know, this is the immemorial question of all Western theology. Why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? If God is good and God is powerful, why so much evil in God's creation? If God is powerful, God could stop a fire from ravishing a home in Stamford, Connecticut on Christmas Eve. And if God is good, God would want to do such a thing, but obviously God did not, so what's the answer? Paraphrasing Harold Kushner, why do bad things happen to good people? 
It's a great question, but I don't want to give you an answer in these next eight weeks. I want to tell you a story. Story is at least 2,500 years old, written down in its final form, 500 years before Jesus, but the prototypical folktale that gave it its form is probably 1,000 years older than that. So the story of Job is about 3,500 years old. It begins like this, classic fashion, once upon a time. There lived a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. Once upon a time, it says, and this is our clue that what will follow is not historical fact, but a fairy tale. Once upon a time, someone pointed out that the book of Job begins like Star Wars begins. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. And so, we won't find the land of Uz on any maps. The land of Uz is akin to its phonetic cousin, the land of Oz, from our own mythology. And the text tells us that this man Job was blameless and upright. He hated evil and feared God. He was a good Presbyterian, a good businessman, and a good father. Tom Long points out that Job not only has children, he has children in symmetrical numbers. Here's another clue that this material is fairy tale, not fact. Job has seven sons and three daughters, equaling that nice round symmetrical number of ten. Job also has 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 10,000, nice round symbolical number. 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, 1,000, nice round symmetrical number. Now, Job's 500 yoke of oxen make him an agribusiness wunderkind in the ancient Near East, the John Deere of the ancient Near East. His 7,000 sheep give him a near monopoly in the wool business. He's the Patagonia of the ancient Near East. His camels make him a transportation magnet. His camels deliver packages to people, like UPS, those familiar brown beasts of burden. They deliver furniture to new homes like United Van Lines. They deliver business people and tourists to new destinations like American Airlines. You can rent a camel from Job like U-Haul. He is a one-man conglomerate, the greatest men from the East, says the text. Now, unbeknownst to Job, of course, his wonderful, rich, beautiful life is about to crumble into dust and ash. His livelihood is taken from him. His beautiful children are killed. And even Job himself is stricken with a miserable skin disease. And of course, all this trouble is the device that drives the plot forward in this story because readers are going to wonder, how will this holy man respond to all this misery? What is the human response to all this evil? And the book will go on to give us three possibilities, three options. The first is that of Job's wife. She just wants to give up on God. Curse God and die, she tells her husband. So we might say that the response of Job's wife is no theology or a theology. And then Job's, Job's friends show up to help. 
but all they can offer him are the hackneyed bromides of traditional theology, the theology of the academy. All his friends can do is hand him a pile of books that give him Luther's catechism and Calvin's institutes and Barth's dogmatics. But when you are standing at the lip of an open grave, the last thing you need is books. The bromides of the academy. What you need is Valium for the grief and morphine for the pain. The friend's response is the response of book theology. And it's very clear that neither the response of no theology nor the response of book theology is going to cut it in this challenging, difficult world. So there's a third response, that of Job himself. Job himself refuses to curse God and die. He knows there's a God. He's believed there's a God. He always has, and he's not going to quit now, damn it. Naked came I from my mother's womb, he says. Naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed. Job comes up with, I don't know, what shall we call it? A lived theology? A faithful theology? A protest theology? Though he slay me, yet shall I trust him, says the King James Version of Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet shall I trust him. Protest theology. When children die, what happens is that death abducts not just those we love, but also our very lives, our futures, everything that's good and happy about our lives. In early August, they held a sentencing hearing for that creep who shot 17 people in Parkland, Florida on Valentine's Day of 2018. Relative after relative, Parent after parent, friend after friend got up to tell the world what their lives have been like since that hateful day. Do you know what's gone after a day like that? Besides those we love, you know what's gone? Christmas is gone or twisted. Family reunions are gone or twisted. You can't even watch the Florida Gators anymore because that was your daughter's favorite team and she had such a good time watching them. You'll never walk her down the aisle at her wedding. You'll never go to his high school graduation. You'll never hold her beautiful babies in your arms. One sister said she never even got her braces off. She never had the chance to get her first kiss. People keep asking one mother, how many children do you have? And she doesn't know what to say. Another mother keeps spraying herself with her daughter's favorite perfume so that she can smell her gone daughter. Those homes are intolerably quiet. Even the peace and comfort of the night is not available to those families. One survivor says, all we can hear is the loudness of the silence. Yes, the deafening silence. What? 
then shall we say to these things at times like these. Not the atheology of Job's wife, nor the book theology of Job's friends, but the protest theology of Job himself, who insists on hanging on to God for dear life, even if it might mean he will eventually hang himself, period. Though he slay me, yet shall I trust him. Or the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.